Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Happy Monday and good morning. And we are all about truth here every day, but we want to explicitly talk about that today, especially truth in the area of politics, which uh, my pastor yesterday morning defined really well as truth in community. And I think that uh, it's very important when we cover topics uh, like we did all last week of Indictment Watch 2023, which is still going on, by the way, and I think will still continue for a while, um, then we may question, well, why are we talking about uh, all of these things in politics? And uh, we have all kinds of Congress members that join us on the show. We talk about legislation. We talk about um, areas of enforcement in politics. Of course, we will be talking even more as things continue about the uh, 2024 presidential election and the setup for the Trump versus DeSantis fight. And uh, why why are we talking about that on this show? Um, some some people in my uh, my home church in Colorado have uh, questioned why my church um, in the nine a.m. hour on Sunday morning. We have a regular service at at 10 a.m. that is verse by verse teaching, uh, more of the Calvary Chapel style. That was uh, the non-denomination denomination that I was raised in and that uh, my my pastor, Gino, who uh, has been on the show and you have all gotten to hear from him a couple of times, uh, that's his background and um, that's what, what we do at church is, is the verse by verse more than topical teaching. But we do that in the 10 a.m., but the 9 a.m., we reserve for a worldview and training and applying the truth of Scripture to everyday life. And uh, we were doing that yesterday, and I actually had the opportunity to teach adult Sunday school class uh, yesterday morning. Um, And it was a great time to bring this back to the understanding of what worldview means and why it's important to always talk about a worldview. And um, we do that. And in fact, um, AFA and the the building that's there in Tupelo, and I was talking to uh, to Devin and Adam right before, we're very thankful that is still standing. Everyone uh, is okay with the uh, following the, the tornado this weekend. And we're certainly praying for um, everyone and the affected families there in, in Mississippi. Um, but that building even talks about worldview on the, um, on the sign out front of the building because worldview matters and worldview matters uh, mattered to uh, Don Wildman, the founder. And why is that? And why is, why as Christians should we be concerned about the biblical worldview and then translate that into the area of talking about politics uh, here on this show each and every morning? Well, as my pastor defined this yesterday, when we are learning about the substance of scripture, we are learning about the person of God, all of the attributes and characteristics characteristics of God, how God has moved throughout history, um, the, the whole narrative of salvation and the gospel message. We are learning who he is as the personification of truth. And so all of these various attributes that are found in the Lord, 
um, which include justice, mercy, um, so many other at- attributes, um, grace, and, and things that we talk about in the church setting, we are ultimately learning to apply truth, which means to apply God's view and therefore the biblical worldview into every area of life that we as Christians have to participate in and should participate in throughout our lives on a daily basis. Because if we just go to church on Sunday morning and listen to scripture teaching and then think that the only thing that we can discuss as Christians that is sacred during the week is verse-by-verse scripture teaching. And and this radio network has a lot of scripture teaching. Um, David Jeremiah is on this program, a few other Bible teachers. That's great. But we also, in addition to that, have programs like this one that are dedicated to looking at the biblical worldview in all areas of life, specifically, and, and we typically focus mostly on politics uh, on this show, which is defined as truth, how we apply truth in our community, in our daily life. And that also, of course, will include culture and policy and how we determine what does the biblical worldview have to say, what does God himself have to say about a moral and upright society. So in every area we study, it's about truth and applied truth in that particular area. So truth in law, truth in economics, a truth in election integrity, for example. So why do we care about election integrity? Well, election integrity is all about truth in elections. We need fairness, transparency, adjudication of claims. Uh, So many people who were so concerned in the aftermath of the 2020 election and ongoing are very concerned about election integrity. And the left has tried to shape this as just a Republican versus Democrat issue. But the biblical worldview would tell us that this is not a partisan issue. We aren't supposed to just be concerned about Republican versus Democrat and siloed into these camps to say whatever the Republican Party says or whatever one particular candidate that you may follow, for example, Donald Trump says, we all have to defend that position. Well, no, we have to defend truth and we have to defend the biblical worldview and we have to always view what's going on in our world and in politics through a truthful perspective. And so we have to first and foremost know what the Bible says. We have to know what is the truth. We have to know who the person of God is so that we can, as the uh, Apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament, rightly divide scripture and rightly divide truth from error truth from false and empty philosophies. We talked about wokeism on the show um, a couple of weeks ago. That is a an empty philosophy that has consequences. Uh, we talk about um, so many different philosophies when we talk about, you know, whether it's Marxism, socialism, all of these other things, climate change, uh, whatever the left is pushing, we have to look at the truth. And often we're confronted by the leftists saying, well, this is my truth. This is my philosophy. And how is that really harming you? And that we need to be able to answer that question in all areas of philosophy that will then designate 
policy perspectives that ultimately will be fashioned into legislative bills and laws that then become enforced and then become adjudicated in a court of law in our civil society. So it all flows down from a philosophy that is either rooted in truth or something else that is false. You can only have truth or not truth. And so when people in on, on the left will push back and say, well, okay, fine. So you are a Christian and you are for the biblical definition of marriage is between one man and one woman. Well, don't push your religion on me because I say love is love. And what does it really harm you that I have... A, you know, a son who is gay and is marrying another guy, you know, just live and let live. Well, when we look at that philosophy and how now the law has been shaped to protect SOGI, which is, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity language into the Civil Rights Act and say it is actually a civil right that we as Christians cannot, quote unquote, discriminate against a same sex marriage. The harm becomes when here in my home state of Colorado, you have a civil rights commission that will tell a cake baker to go to re-education training will will destroy half of his business of wedding cakes because he can't discriminate. And so this is where society and truth in society matters. And we can't have such a diversity of society that the left would tell us is possible because ultimately rights will clash with each other. And where you and I have rights in the First Amendment of the Constitution that explicitly protects the free exercise of religion, that means that we can freely exercise affirmatively our religion, but it also means that we cannot be compelled to exercise a viewpoint or speak or participate in any false religion or any false worldview or philosophy that violates our religion and our faith. And that becomes very important that we have to talk about on a worldview level, not just a verse by verse, here is what scripture says. Because the left then, I guarantee, and and I've been in these situations, if you go in and you testify in front of your state legislature, if you talk to your legislators and you bring in a biblical argument that, that cites book and verse, you might even be laughed at, but you certainly won't be taken seriously by the leftists or the non-Christians that are on the panel, unfortunately, in our society. Because they say, well, we have to first become Christians before we agree with you. And sure, that's your truth, but my truth is something else. We have to be able to articulate the truthful worldview and say the truth is that men and women one man and one woman is the definition of marriage because that is the only instance where a family has the opportunity to procreate and has the opportunity to become a family and look at the laws of nature. 
And when you talk about transgenderism as a philosophy, an empty philosophy, a wrong philosophy, then we can talk about the self-evident truth of the biological reality of the difference between men and women. And so we have to understand how to take the truth and apply it to all of these areas of study. And so with the guests and the topics and all of these things that we talk about, I want to bring out the truth and the biblical worldview. And I also want everyone listening every morning, especially the listeners that I'm so grateful and I hear from you all the time that listen to this show daily to always be thinking about guests that come on and what they talk about and, and contrast that and compare that with what does the truth say and, and rightly divide that for ourselves. And we have to, as Christians, be more dedicated to the truth and rightly dividing that than we are to a political party and especially more than we are to any political candidate. And there was a piece in um, Red State this morning that I'm just going to read the very end of this. The, The writer said, here's my point. The Republican Party of 2023 is as split as it's ever been, with both ever Trump and never Trump forces ferociously locked in a pitched battle over Donald Trump. It's long been apparent that in the eyes of ever Trump, Donald Trump is incapable of doing, saying, or writing anything wrong. The more outrageous he becomes, the more outrageous his staunch loyalists become as well. Conversely, Trump is incapable of doing, saying, or writing anything right in the eyes of never Trump. Trump could single-handedly cure cancer, and never Trump would skewer him for putting oncologists out of work. But the reality? Both sides are wrong. No one is always right or wrong. That should go without saying. And I think this is so important for us to recognize that the truth of what this writer is saying in Red State, that we have to rightly divide truth from error in every aspect of our culture and especially of politics, be more dedicated to the truth than you are to any one political candidate or any one specific effort. And for example, for everyone looking at the Kerry Lake lawsuit, and I wanna talk about that more this coming week, you need to make sure that you are focused on the issue of election integrity for truth in elections, not just saying anyone who may be uh, moving forward on an issue of election integrity just because they purport to be, then we have to all support that effort because it may not be right. So we need to be thinking about dividing truth from error. We'll be right back here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war and they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, 
What's a scrap metal drive? <laughs> Let's get some cookies, and I'll tell you all about it. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Judge Robert Gregory, Chief Judge for the United States Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. His court has jurisdiction over the District of Maryland as well as the Eastern District of North Carolina. Proverbs 28.5 reminds us of the importance of justice. Evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Judge Robert Gregory as he presides over the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make a switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Dwayne Johnson is best known as The Rock. He's a Hollywood megastar, also known for his work as a pro wrestler. But when he was a kid growing up in Hawaii, he was dirt poor. And as a teenage boy, he made some pretty bad decisions in his life, not the least of which was shoplifting candy bars from a 7-Eleven. The Rock says he used to steal sticker bars every day when he was a kid, and decades later, he knew it was time to right that wrong. So The Rock returned to that 7-Eleven and plopped down enough cash to buy every Snickers bar in the store. He also gave the store clerk a tip, telling the cashier to give the candy to any kid who might look like a potential shoplifter. The Rock said you can't change your past, but every once in a while you can make things right with a little bit of redeeming grace. Be sure to get a copy of my book, Our Daily Biscuit Devotions with a Drawl, available at ToddSturge.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we are talking about truth this morning and defining politics as truth in community, which uh, my my pastor so brilliantly provided that definition over the weekend. Um, and I think it's so important that we take a moment to consider that definition, because if we as Christians understand that a moral and upright society requires that we ask ourselves the question, what is the truth about this policy? What is the truth about the, the Constitution and where our rights come from? And what is the truth in uh, these areas of philosophy that filter down to policy and then ultimately legal determinations? then we have to rightly divide truth from error. And so uh, this brings the next great example of talking about the truth and also talking about protecting the constitutional rights that we have in this country. And uh, this was a Wall Street Journal opinion piece 
that I read uh, over the weekend that it was uh, by former Attorney General Bill Barr. Um, probably, I mean, some of these, um, you know, someone writes and just asks someone like Bill Barr to to say, "Hey, would you be the byline of, of this piece?" So, you know, whether or not he actually wrote it, he's the one whose name is on it. But um, it's talking about, and the headline is Dominion's weak case against Fox. And it goes on to say, a victory for the plaintiff would severely weaken the First Amendment protection all news media enjoy. And uh, Bill Barr goes down and says, uh, the real significance um, of this case, two things are clear. First, if the applicable law is faithfully applied, the facts completely upend Dominion's defamation claim against Fox. The case should be decided in Fox's favor, if not at the trial stage, then on appeal. Second, a ruling against Fox would be a major blow to media freedoms generally, subjecting news outlets to the prospect of outsized liability whenever they report on newsworthy allegations that turn out to be false. So how should we think about the truth in this instance and our First Amendment protections, not just from whether you um, want one side or the other to to win or lose or not from uh, the perspective that I know a, a lot of us have seen, you know, from Mike Lindell, from others, you know, who have been talking about machines and all of that stuff, but just from the legal perspective. So joining me now to discuss this is my good friend, uh, Mike Davis, who is with the Article 3 Project. And uh, he actually tweeted on this, people may not like Bill Barr, they may not like Fox News, but he's right here. Fox reported allegations and Dominion's denials. That's called journalism. A Dominion victory against Fox would cause grave damage to free speech, uh, free press, and free speech. So, Mike, I agree with you, and uh, let's unpack this more. Um, Tell us about why this case is such an important one uh, to journalistic freedom and to freedom of the press. Yeah, and thank you for having me on, uh, Jenna. I think the problem with this Dominion lawsuit is they're suing the wrong plaintiffs. Dominion's or Dominion as the plaintiff is suing the wrong defendants here. If they're suing for defamation, they should sue the people who Dominion thinks make the made the defamatory statements. But instead, they're going after Fox News because Fox News has deeper pockets. And the problem with going after Fox News because they have deeper pockets is it's going to destroy the free press and free speech in this country if Dominion wins this lawsuit, because it's going to create too much of uh, too much liability for news organizations uh, going forward. And particularly what you're going to see, uh, you're going to see the leftist target conservative media outlets, whether it's Fox or your show, Jenna, or Steve Bannon show or whoever show, uh, they're going to be targeted by the left with the with the, with these frivolous lawsuits, and it's not because they actually care about winning the lawsuits. The goal is to take out conservative media, right? And that goal, I think, it needs to be uh, evident so much more clearly in this conversation overall, because we've seen this concerted effort to take out conservatives from the press, from politics, from basically any part of our civil society and in our community. And and this is targeted against a news organization that, you know, last time I checked, um, anything that is newsworthy, a news organization can bring on someone who is talking about that particular um, 
topic and they don't have to say we believe this person or they don't have to go and do independent research and investigate and say okay well you know we're only going to bring on the one side that we personally believe um, they they are allowed to bring on someone who is newsworthy and get their opinion that's the entire point of journalism is talking about a newsworthy topic. I mean, for example, if there's a, a case that is going on um, in the, the big um, in big media and it's kind of a national story, I think about the uh, the Murdoch trial, the Alex Murdoch trial that uh, was a few weeks ago. If they brought on the prosecutor and the defense attorney and before the verdict, both of those lawyers gave their side, then should the news outlet be sued when they when the verdict is reached and the defendant's convicted and then the defense attorney oh wow well then he must have lied and you must have brought someone on that you didn't believe because you allowed him to advocate for his client on air and tell you what his case was about i mean that would be an absurd standard yeah i'm very much an absurd standard essentially you'd have to have you'd have to have a media organization constantly uh, I, I guess doing real-time fact-checking constantly and constantly pick, uh, tipping the sta- scale based upon uh, what later turns out to be the truth, like you said, Jenna. And it's just it's not how reporting is supposed to work. Even if even if the reporters think something is is not right, it's still their job to report allegations and then to report the denials, right? And that's that's what journalism is. And for Essentially, what this standard would mean is is that media outlets would constantly have to be advocates, and that's not their job as journalists. Their journalist is to report the facts. Right, and and so is there then a distinction here um, that in particularly the the Dominion case against Fox, because um, a lot of this that was just simply reported did report. Um, the the facts or or at least the allegations and the denials, which in this instance would have been reporting the facts because somebody said something and then somebody denied it. And that's those are the facts at that point and didn't make commentary. But what about the hosts that did then color some of that with their own opinion? Because um, opinion in journalism is also very valuable and um, and not just being solely a reporter and and that's part of this particular lawsuit is saying well it wasn't just reporting the denial the allegations and the denials but when our when our hosts or when their hosts um went so far as to comment around it and say you know favor one side or the other well then that gets into uh defamation territory well i mean that the opinion host also offered the opportunity for dominion representatives to come on their shows and talk about this, right? So that I mean, that's the whole point of an opinion show is you could have both sides. And uh, you know, the, the Dominion didn't want to go on these shows and and to to provide the other side. So I, I mean, this is this is what journalism is. This is the give and take of journalism. This is the give and take of you know the Democrats pretend like they care about democracy. This is this is the give and take about democracy. Is you you come on and you could discuss all sides. Absolutely, and you know, in 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 my opinion, which um, you know, of course, is is uh, I say ironically in this instance, we expect journalists to look at facts and then say, "Wow, you know, as far as we know right now, I think." this is, you know, very concerning for this and this reason, or give their opinion and analyze it through what 
what we know at the time or based on the presentation say, you know, I disagree with that particular guest. I mean, all kinds of opinion journalists, they bring somebody on and they have a conversation, they disagree or they um, or they agree, and they're not necessarily required to present all sides and be totally independent. And so I think this gets uh, Mike Davis into a really um, difficult position if the law is going to go down the path of saying, if you are an opinion media personality, then you have a higher obligation beyond the First Amendment protections of journalism, that if you just render an opinion on something that then turns out um, either to be false or the verdict didn't go, you know, in, in the case of a trial, the way that you thought it should have, or, you know, something else happens, then you now are on the hook for defamation because your opinion um, was not ultimately agreed with either in the court of law or by the person who's suing you. Um, that would be incredibly damaging to news organizations. And that's actually why this this Florida legislation that I think is so misguided by a Republican who's asking for uh, bloggers and journalists to register with the state so that they can see, well, where's basically where's your bias coming from if you happen to say anything um, against the governor or against um, any of the elected officials in the state of California. Well, I'm sorry, but that is so completely antithetical to the spirit of, and and actually I think the enumerated text of the Constitution, uh, to, to say that somehow journalists are liable to the state if they criticize elected officials. That's the hallmark of why freedom of the press is specifically enumerated in our First Amendment. I mean, where would this be going if that's our standard. Well, I mean, you're, you're right, Jen. I mean, the, the Supreme Court back in 1964 has a case called New York Times versus uh, New York Times versus Sullivan. And when you're dealing with public officials, uh, when you're when you're dealing with criticism of public officials on public issues, there's there's what's called the actual malice standard, meaning if you're criticizing President Trump or President Biden or probably Fox News, you would use this actual malice standard, which is you have to, the, the, the person making the defamatory statement has to uh, have actual knowledge that their statement is false, or they have to have been so reckless in making their defamatory uh, statement that it, it rises to the level of actual malice. And the Supreme Court did that to protect uh, people who want to come into the public debate and to, to criticize public officials and public figures um, on public topics. Right. And and I think that that standard, um, and we've, we've talked a lot in legal circles about, um, and of course in media and journalism, about uh, the Supreme Court revisiting that standard in New York Times versus Sullivan. And of course there is a, a divide in, uh, in defamation claims that obviously uh, falsity does not cover specifically just a, an opinion that is not true or false. It's, you know, if I say I don't like someone, that's not a true or false fact statement. That is my opinion. It's talking about things that are provably false, but you have to, but there are standards, um, especially, you know, within um, d defamatory claims that 
if it is a public figure, there is that added element of actual malice. Um, but moving forward then into, you know, what I'm I'm seeing is shaping up as a as a battle really for journalistic freedom on the right, especially when you look at how um, the media tried to censor any of, for example, any of these doctors that were just presenting a different opinion on COVID, on the vaccines, on um, therapy treatments, on some of these things. When you look at um, the silencing of conservatives that may give what is perceived to the left as a wrong opinion and media is silenced or podcasters or independent journalists are silenced. Um, where do we go from here? And do you think that the New York Times versus Sullivan standard needs to be revisited? And if so, how? Well, uh, 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 I, I would say on the censorship, the biggest driver of censorship in this country is big tech. And I think that what we need to do is break up Google, Amazon, Facebook and Apple's uh, trillion. These are trillion dollar monopolists in, in various parts of the tech market. I think we need to break them up, and I think that we need to start with breaking up Google's monopoly over uh, online advertising. They dominate the online advertising market. They actually monopolize all three sides, the buy side, the sell side, the trade side. Trade side. And if we break up that advertising monopoly, you're going to see a lot more uh, freedom of speech in this country because you're going to see uh, these, uh, uh, Google's not going to be able to, to dominate these advertising dollars and use their, their domination to control speech online. So that's an important step. Uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah has a bill to break up Google's uh, ad tech, their online advertising monopoly. And I think it's a good bill that everyone should get behind Democrat or Republican. As for the New York Times versus Sullivan, the actual malice standard, you know, I, I, I've heard both sides of this, Jenna. Um, I, I generally, I generally uh, am skeptical of the New York Times versus Sullivan uh, standard because I think it's made up by courts. It's not actually something that was legislated by Congress. Uh, it's just a judicial fiat from 1964. Um, what I worry about is if we change it. So I, I, I have a concern there. But on the other hand, what I worry about, which is what we've been talking about all day today, that the left is going to use lawsuits to wipe out conservative media. So we have to be careful what we ask for if we want to have New York Times versus Sullivan reversed. So I, I, I can see both sides of the argument, and I think that there are up, uh, there are positives and negatives to both sides. And that's really uh, very good advice uh, to be careful what we ask for and to make sure that um, if we are revisiting a standard, we can replace it with a better one that isn't just politically slanted and isn't going to ultimately have a, a bad and negative impact on conservatives. Well, Mike Davis, really appreciate your insights in uh, truth in protecting our First Amendment. You can follow Mike Davis on social media. I would encourage you to from uh, the Article 3 Project as well. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Bishop E.W. Jackson is on a mission. Some people are just embarrassed to be Americans. That, that's a big problem. I mean, I've heard people say that. They're embarrassed to be Americans. I'm not embarrassed to be American. I love my country. I'm, I'm thankful to God that I'm an American. I'm thankful to God to live in this land of freedom and opportunity and hope. 
and I'm fighting to make sure that that never changes. The Awakening with Bishop E.W. Jackson every weekday at noon central on AFR or catch the podcast at AFR.net. Weekday mornings at 8 central, Pastor Jeff Shreve offers real truth for today. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. The world around us is rapidly changing, but God and His truth will never change. I may be the host of the show, but I want God's Word and His truth to be the star of the show. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve each weekday morning at 8 central for real truth for today on American Family Radio. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. What is the proper role of government? Romans chapter 13 outlines government's function, and it is basically this, to restrain or to punish wickedness and to reward righteousness. Government was never intended to be our savior. Government is our servant. As we focus on our civil occupations and our civic engagement responsibilities, let us never forget that government is not our God. We don't put our trust in it. We put our trust in our Christ. As a result, what we want is a government that stays out of our way and leaves room for our church to do our business of fulfilling the Great Commission. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Did you know the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of all abortions? Preborn Ministry continues to stand with women in crisis in their darkest hour and bring hope and life. After Marissa took the abortion pill, she immediately regretted it, but Preborn was there for her. Look at that baby. Look how beautiful he is. Look at that. Abortion pill reversal actually works. Let's hear his heartbeat. Oh, look how strong it is. Praise God. By God's amazing grace, this baby was saved, but many more need our help. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back and a little bit of breaking news for you this morning. There's a piece from Axios that uh, just dropped that uh, says that Ron DeSantis shows early state strength in Iowa and New Hampshire polls. So uh, this is saying that in surveys conducted by Public Opinion Strategies, Uh, found that Ron DeSantis is leading Donald Trump by eight points, 45% to 37% in a head-to-head matchup in Iowa, and tied with Trump 39-39 in New Hampshire. So this will be very interesting because uh, national polling has shown that uh, Donald Trump is significantly ahead of Ron DeSantis, but according to Axios, these polls suggest that DeSantis is performing better in the early states where voters pay close 
closer attention. So I'm very interested, as we've talked about um, numerous times on this show, to see how the polls will change uh, if and when DeSantis actually announces. I think that's going to be very significant. Um, But turning to the truth in protecting children and making sure that we uh, have a moral and upright society, there is uh, a, a pair of bills in the state of Mississippi that are to uh, intended to remove obs- obscenity and materials harmful to minors from library databases. And so um, the final conference report on uh, this bill has to be signed today. There are a lot of negotiations uh, going on right now. So State Senator Angela Hill joins me t- uh, today to talk more about why this is really important. And um, Senator Hill, I'm so grateful for your time. So um, first, Talk about what this bill would do and why um, this is important to the state. Well, basically, states typically pay vendors for providing databases to public schools and public libraries that are supposed to provide age-appropriate resources for children who are doing their schoolwork, their homework, research, um, and just basically um, doing the things that they do uh, for their school assignments. And the states pay handsomely to these vendors for uh, this information that's supposed to be kid-friendly. But we know that there are many violations um, that these these databases allow to get through uh, to these children. And so what this bill does is basically hold these database vendors accountable for what we're actually paying them for is to provide age-appropriate material for children. And that just seems, Senator Hill, to be so common sense that the entire point of these databases is so that children can access uh, a database and they can do some research, but without the strong possibility that in their search results they have um, age-inappropriate content, pornography, you know, that kind of thing, and that they don't um, go further into the realm of just, you know, whether it's a a search engine um, just broadly, but they can go into this database. And so what's what is so controversial about this or uh, why why is this something that is uh, getting some pushback well when you slide along for for several years and and you're not held accountable and then all of a sudden um, a bill pops up in the legislature that says we're going to make you be accountable for what we've been paying you for for x number of years um, then all the, the, the resources come down on, on the people that are trying to hold them accountable um, to try to stop and kill the bill. Uh, it makes no sense when, that, when you're supposed to be paying for age-appropriate content. But, you know, if you're getting by not doing it, typically you're going to do everything that you can to keep getting by. So that's what we're trying to do is to hold them accountable and try to educate the legislators on what this database is, what it's supposed to provide, and what they're not doing that they're telling us that they're doing to protect kids. And we've been able to go into this database, and as late as Friday afternoon, our researchers were going in here and looking, and and, and the stuff is there. So sometimes when they know somebody's looking, they'll clean it up for, for a short time, but then, you know, here goes again, and and you'll be able to get off on all this stuff. And we're not talking about, you know, Romeo and Juliet to kill a mockingbird. We're talking about hardcore pornographic smut that these kids can get to through these databases. Which is just surprising, Senator Hill, that um, there wouldn't be these type of filters. And so 
Um, is this a type of database that um, has to just have filters to where um, it would filter out some of the other content that is generally available on the web, or are these specifically curated databases that these vendors actually have to decide and pull in content that is allowed to uh, to be accessed, almost like an online repository? Yeah, these are supposed to be curated databases. Um, but we know that they're apparently not curated very well because we can get to this stuff on these databases. And if we can get to it, the kids can get to it. And this is labeled for K-12, K-8, K-2. through So you have it broken down, you know, for age ranges. And so that's what we expect if we're paying for this product. And Mississippi is not the first state that has tried to hold these these database uh, vendors accountable. We've had Tennessee and multiple other states have already passed similar legislation. And we know that Texas, North Dakota, Nebraska, and probably some more are working on similar bills this year. So it's not like, you know, the first time this has ever been done to try to hold these folks accountable. And, you know, if you, if you do a little search on the Internet, you will find that these people are listed in the dirty dozen of, you know, allowing pornography to come through um, by the National Center for Sexual Exploitation. Uh, so we know that, that that it's there. They know that it's there. Um, they've basically already admitted that, that, you know, that they need to clean it up or that they can clean it up. So we're just trying to get finished and get across the finish line to basically get what we're actually paying for and to hold these vendors accountable and for these kids to be able to get on these databases and, and not wind up with pornography on their screen, um, the worst of the worst. And these kids deserve their innocence when they're trying to do their homework. And a lot of times they're doing it at, at home on laptops with these databases, with their passwords to get in there. And so we'll, we want to make sure that we're get, getting what we're paying for. Yes, which absolutely. Yes, which seems like that's just a common sense uh, thing that should happen, and that is the role of the legislature to make sure that you are getting what you're paying for and protecting children. So where is this bill at then in the legislative cycle, and what needs to happen next uh, in terms of getting this passed? The bill is in conference. Um, A few details being ironed out. Um, The conference report should get signed by both the House and the Senate conferees. Then it will be brought back to the floor for a final vote, a final up or down vote. So that's what we want to happen. We want to get this bill across the finish line. This is probably the last week of session, and we're in the final negotiations, and we're working very hard to um, get this bill across the finish line so that we can say that we've done what we're supposed to do. And I think that parents expect us to not pay government funds for something that's allowing kids to access this stuff. I mean, it just makes perfect sense that if we're paying somebody to protect our kids, that that we're going to make them follow through and protect our kids. Yes, absolutely. Well, we uh, certainly care about this, and and, uh, AFAaction.net has an action alert. Um, So if you go to AFAaction.net, you can contact your legislators there. And if you are a parent in Mississippi uh, that cares about this bill, whether or not um, your children are the ones that are necessarily accessing this database, if you're, for example, a homeschooler or someone else, uh, this is still really important to, again, the entire scope of a moral and upright society and making sure that we have truth in community. And uh, anything else, uh, Senator Hill, that uh, people in Mississippi can do to support this legislation being passed? Well, they need to understand that the, the 
the misinformation that's been put out there is that if we pass this bill, we're going to lose all these databases, and these kids in these libraries are not going to have these databases. That's been the the basically the the red herring that's been put out there to try to kill this bill. So what I want people to know is that this bill has been passed in other states, and these kids still have access to a database. Um, so the librarians have been told that, that you're going to lose all your access to this and you're going to go back to the 20th century. So all that is false information. We are working with the vendor to, to craft something that we both can live with, that protects kids and holds them accountable, yet allows the database to remain, but in a cleaned-up fashion. And we, we're giving them a long runway to be able to clean this thing up um, you know, before the contract's canceled. So I think it's more than fair what, the way we're trying to handle this. And, and I think that we've probably um, worked out the kinks and we just make, need to make sure that parents know and librarians know that if it's not cleaned up, eventually the librarians are going to be held accountable because the federal funds that the libraries get require kids not to get pornography in the libraries. So we're, we're trying to protect the kids, we're trying to protect the librarians, and we're trying to hold the vendor accountable, and we need this bill to um, pass on through House Bill 1315. House Bill 1315, where Senator Hill, thank you so much for uh, that explanation and that uh, call to action. And again, you can contact your Mississippi lawmakers today at afaaction.net. Net and uh, make sure that you are contacting your legislators. And this goes for everyone in any state uh, that you are listening to this program right now. You need to be aware of what is uh, going on in your legislature. These are things that uh, legislation that is actually good for society, good to protect kids. And make sure that you're aware of what's going on in your state, uh, whether it's good legislation or bad legislation, and you are in contact with your legislators and being a good and responsible citizen to make your voice heard so that you can continue to speak truth into uh, our civil society and making sure that you are participating in our legislative process. This is uh, one of the uh, beauties of how our founders uh, ultimately founded and established our society that uh, on the state level, our legislators are very close to we the people and we can build uh, good relationships with our state legislators um, even if they're in a separate party even if um, you know they they may not want to talk to us on various opinions um, but we can try still to connect with them and to make our voices heard and uh, to advocate for our communities and um, that's become so important when we look at um, how all of this affects everyone in our society and how, um, again, even if, you know, you don't have a child in Mississippi that would necessarily um, access this particular database, well, you your child may play with another child who does. And we want to understand that all of this ultimately will affect all of us because we all live in our American society. We all live in communities. And so um, I always hate that kind of false pushback to say, well, 
you know, how does this harm you? And, you know, how do you, uh, why should you have an opinion on this? Um, for example, in the, in the pro-life movement, men, how should, uh, how come you should have an opinion on this? Because, you know, pregnancy and abortion choices and stuff aren't, uh, won't ever affect you. And, and of course that narrative now is, is inconsistent because apparently according to the left, men can now get pregnant. So I guess they're allowed to have opinions, but, um, laughably, but, but the truth of the matter is parental rights matter and men who are fathers, their rights matter and men who care about, uh, children in our society and care about a moral and upright society, they can have an opinion on something, even if it doesn't personally affect them. We've taken this whole idea of harm or an injury in fact, which is the legal standard to uh, file a claim in court. Um, generally, you can't have what, what they call a non-particularized claim, where I can't just uh, go and say, well, I'm suing on behalf of all taxpayers, for example. Um, that's been a huge one where they say, well, the individual taxpayer doesn't have standing in court because this is not a particularized harm. You haven't alleged an injury, in fact, and you can't sue on behalf of all taxpayers, right? Well, that's in the context of our judiciary. But when we're talking about a totally separate branch of government, we're talking about policy, we're talking about legislation, that does affect everyone. And we should not uh, bow to any of those arguments. We shouldn't concede that. And we need to affirmatively reject those types of arguments that would say, well, you know, how does this really impact you? Are you really harmed because, um, and, and why should you care? We've all heard those arguments from the left that you're just pushing your religion on us or, you know, all of these things that want to um, tell us to sidestep these very important issues to society that we need to comment on. And we need to make sure that we are uh, in front of our legislatures and in every single state that they know us, that they know the truth about this legislation, not just our opinions. I mean, I always love it when people say, well, you know, you're pushing your beliefs on me. And, I'm, and, and I push back and say, this isn't just my opinion. This is truth. And we have to get away from just saying, you know, this is my opinion because I'm a Christian. We have to say this is truth in a moral and upright society. We want to find truth in community. We want to find truth in politics and what are the parameters of a moral and upright society. And then put it back on them to say, no, we don't want truth. We want relativism. You know, we want nihilism. We want social Marxism and make them defend their positions. We always as conservatives seem to be on the defensive. We need to be asking them questions. Why wouldn't you support a bill, for example, that would remove uh, access to pornography on, on for children? That's, that's incredibly important. So be involved, be a good citizen, know that truth in all areas of life, very important. We'll continue to talk about this week and each and every day here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Make it a great day. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.